The word of the Lord is flawless, and his ways are perfect. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Let us listen to the word of God and hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 through 16. You can find it on page 1473 of your pew Bibles or on the screen behind me. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Will you pray with me? Guide us, O Lord, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. You know, as many of you uh, probably know, I, I grew up in Kansas and spent the first 22 years of my life here. Uh, and then after college, I uh, spent about 10 years away, um, a couple of years traveling around the U.S. and Canada with a band. And then and then uh, a few years in Indiana, three years in Chicago, three and a half years or so in, in, in Canada until uh, I was blessed to have an opportunity to come back close to where I grew up, which was wonderful. Uh, there were a lot of things I missed about Kansas, believe it or not, while I was gone. I enjoyed every place I lived. Uh, and there's certain there's great people everywhere. God's creation is beautiful in every in every location. Uh, but there were certain things that I truly missed about Kansas. Number one, of course, was the access that I have now to my family to see my parents, see my brother and his family, my sister and her family, and then to have access to some of my friends on a more regular basis. So that that's that was the number one thing that I missed about not being in Kansas. But one of the things I truly missed the most uh, was the sky. You know, I I grew up in the country. I was so used to being able to look out and see these big, wide expanses. Uh, I see the sky high, see the the horizon and long and see the the sunrise and see the sunset. Uh, I always have loved that. And and, and living in other places, I didn't always have the opportunity to to be able to appreciate the, the sky and to enjoy the sky. You know, I don't know about you, but whenever the sun comes up, or the sun goes down, my eyes are just drawn to it. There's something beautiful and compelling about about that as you look to the horizon. For centuries, people have looked to the horizon, haven't they? If you're on a ship in the ocean, you you look to the horizon looking for land or or if you're in trouble, you look for the sails of another ship. Uh, If you're in the desert and you and you've been traveling for days, you you look for trees uh, for you because you think there might be water instead of just miles and miles of sand. Uh, if you're in the mountains and you're and you're stuck through the night, you you look to the horizon, waiting for the sun to rise because you know it's going to get warmer, and you hope that that day is going to bring rescue. Uh, regardless of why you look to the horizon, when we look to the horizon, we look for guidance, we look for landmarks, we look for signs of what's going to come. We look to get a sense of the big picture, a panorama of our world around us. So today I'm going to ask you to, with me, look at the horizon. I'm going to ask you to look at the horizon, to look at the big picture and to look at where heaven and earth meet, where God's purposes intersect with our lives and to look for what's coming next. 
to look beyond today and ask God to open our eyes to the world around us, to what he wants to do in us and through us, to look, to really, to really look. You know, every day you can go to a website or a newspaper or a magazine, and inevitably there are going to be articles by journalists or researchers, by scholars, by cultural uh, um, observers about the decline of the church in matters of faith in, in North America, in the U.S. Uh, there'll be articles about how uh, increasingly people are pulling back from the, the structured church, from belief in God, from belief in, in faith, especially each generation, it tends to get lower and lower. Um, and and um, national church attendance now runs a little bit less than 20% of people in church on a Sunday morning. In parts of the country, it's much lower than that. Studies show that increasingly the views of people inside the church are, on a variety of topics are getting closer and closer to those views of those outside of the church. And to our dismay, the church and those in the church are viewed more and more in a negative light, especially evangelicals. One could say pretty accurately that it's challenging times for the church in America. But challenges are merely opportunities disguised as obstacles. Today, there's a more spiritual, there's more spiritual need in, in our country than there has been for a very, very long time. And so we are called upon to open our eyes to see the big picture around us. And out of faith and out of courage and out of trust in God, ask him, what does he want us to do about what's going on in our world? So before we look at this big picture, look to the rise and look big picture. I want us to, for a moment, focus our vision more narrowly. So I want you to think about the people that you work with or the people that you go to class with or the people who are on your team, um, the people in your neighborhood, people in your family, your circle of friends. Picture them in your mind, specific people with names. How many of them know Jesus Christ? How many of them have their lives changed and transformed through faith in Jesus Christ? How many? In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, there's a powerful story. I referenced it last week, last week but I want to dig into it a little bit more. The Gospel of John, where, where Jesus stops to talk with a Samaritan woman at a well. It's on the outskirts of town. The disciples have gone in town to look for something to eat and, and to scout things out. And Jesus is hanging by the well, and, and a Samaritan woman comes to the well. She's by herself. And she comes to the well, and, and, and Jesus and she begin to interact. Now, we must understand that in Jesus' day, Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. Sort of like Palestinians and Israelis today. They did not get along at all. They did not like each other. They did not think well of each other. And in Jesus' day also, in addition, most men viewed women as inferior. So when Jesus talks with this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he takes on two taboos at the same time. And so after Jesus treats her with respect... After Jesus speaks truth into her life, after Jesus shows her love and does not reject her because of her lifestyle, we're told that she'd been married five times and is living with a man who's not her husband, so it's on number six. After Jesus shows her love and acceptance, Jesus' disciples return and they're stunned. They are surprised that he is giving her the time of day. They don't know what to say to Jesus and so in their awkwardness, not sure, do we, we can't really confront Jesus about this. What do we do? Hey, you want something to eat? So they offer Jesus some food. Listen to how Jesus responds. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So you get what's going on here? The disciples come back and they are concerned that Jesus is talking with a person of a different gender and a different background, somebody from the wrong side of the tracks. And they don't know what to say, so they offer him food. And Jesus basically says, guys, open your eyes. You're missing the point. What fills me up is doing the Father's will. Look around you. Take a look. You guys are concerned about protocol and what society dictates and what people think. And there are people all around you who do not have eternal life. We have got much work to do. Now, if the articles and the stats and the surveys and the research that I mentioned earlier are even remotely accurate, and I believe that they are pretty accurate, then we have an incredible responsibility to be a part of this harvest. And it's also a tremendous opportunity as well. Thousands of people within 30 miles of this church need to hear and know the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. And they need to see it lived out in us and through us. That's what God wants us to see. That's what God wants us to care about and be passionate about. And that's what needs to drive who we are as a church and and what we do. In the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah and most of the Israelites, they've been exiled into Persia. Um, and um, there's, a, just, there's a few people left behind in Jerusalem, just a handful. A few family and friends are left behind. And in the first chapter of Nehemiah, uh, they come to visit Nehemiah uh, in Persia and, ask, and Nehemiah asks how things are going back home. It'd be sort of, think of it this way. Say, uh, for whatever reason, 90, 95% of Salinans get moved thousands of miles away. Let's say south of the border in Mexico. We're in exile down there. And there's just a handful of people left, and they come down to visit us. And we, of course, want to know, how are things in Salina? Uh, is the Seafels there, is still there? Is Martinelli still operating? What's going on? How's the house? How are the schools? And, and they say, well, you wouldn't recognize it. You, you, you approach the city, and the streets are in disarray. Sections of town are burned down. People are living in shacks. It's, it, it's ruins. It's, it's, it's awful. That's what's happening here in Nehemiah. Verse 3, those, so they're giving the report to Nehemiah. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Things are not good back home. And listen to Nehemiah's response. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When we look around at our world... We look around at our city and we see what's going on. People hurting, people lost, people disconnected from God and from each other. People spend their lives on trivial pursuits. The walls of society breaking down, floodgates open to things contrary to God's will. When we look around, do we respond like Nehemiah? Does it break our heart? Bob Pierce, the founder of, of, of World Relief, famously said, Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. As we look around, does it lead us to seek God? Does it lead us to prayer and repentance? Does it lead us to do something about it? It did for Nehemiah. 
Because the rest of the book of Nehemiah is about the steps that he took to rebuild the wall, to help his people, to turn them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He didn't let the needs around him overwhelm him. He didn't look at the trends and the odds and say, well, what can I possibly do in the face of all this? He seeks God and then he acts. He has a burden. He has a passion. And then he acts. I'm guessing most everybody here has seen Titanic, the movie, or at least heard of the story. And for the most part, even though they took some artistic license, they got it, most of the elements right. The Titanic was seen as unsinkable. It did hit an iceberg and sink, killing hundreds of people. Many men did stay on board and give up their seats so women and children could be saved in the lifeboats. There were people in lifeboats who did stay away, who removed themselves from the danger and trouble and listened to the cries of those in the water crying for help, too afraid, too self-focused, too worried about their own survival to help out. But not everybody did. In lifeboat 14, 5th officer Harold Lowe thought differently and he acted differently. His heart was moved by the cries around him who were losing their lives and he did something about it. He transferred some of his passengers to other boats and rode back, back to save as many as he could from certain death. A case of one survivor saving other survivors. Isn't that what we're called to do as Christians? We are saved from death. We are saved from sin. We're saved from separation from God. And we're called to go back into the world, aren't we? To respond to the cries for help, to do all we can to save as many as we can because the fields are ready for the harvest and the needs are many. Lifeboat 14. Wouldn't that be a great name for a ministry or a church? Would not it be great to be known as a church, as a people, that when everybody else runs out and runs away from the issues, we run back and we run toward when faced with the needs of the world around us, we think and we act differently? That's what the early church did. You look at church history. When the plagues hit and people leave the cities in droves out of fear, the Christians stay and they lovingly served in Jesus' name. And though many of them died, many souls were saved. In the the Roman Empire, when widows or orphans were cast out in the streets because there was no one to care for them, the Christians took them in and cared for them. They acted and they thought differently. You know, many people have this idea of the early church as an island in a vast sea of, of wickedness. And in a sense, it was. But just because they were an island, and just because they were a minority, and just because they were misunderstood and not well thought of, they didn't hunker down, they didn't stay to themselves, they didn't try just to survive, protect me and mine, they, they didn't try to avoid getting, they, tried, they, they, they infiltrated society. They changed society. They transformed society. They were, as the Bible says, in the world, but not of it. Tertullian, who was an early church father uh, who died in the early 200s, wrote this about how the church lived out their faith. Do we not dwell beside you, sharing your way of life, your dress, your habits, and the same needs? We are not spiritual separatists dwelling in woods and exiled from life. We stay beside you in this world, making use of the forum, the provision market, the bath, that would be like the YMCA, 
the booth, the workshop, the inn, the weekly market, and all other places of commerce. We sail with you. We fight at your side. We till the soil with you and traffic with you. We likewise join our technical skill to that of others and make our works public property for your use. In the world, but not of it. We are called to do the same. In the passage that that Dom read just a few moments ago from Matthew 5, it's at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is truly trying to make a point about who we are to be in this world. What are to be our characteristics? How are we to act in the world? And he uses two primary metaphors, salt and light. I'm going to read it again because it's pretty short. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And so they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt and light. Let's break this down for a second. Light, what does it do? It illuminates. It shines in the darkness. It it keeps people on the right path. keeps them from stumbling or falling. Light gives off warmth. As Christians, we are to show people how the truth of Christ changes lives. We are to stand out in the world by living with different values and priorities and beliefs. We are to lovingly offer guidance and help to people. We are to give off love and grace and warmth in all our interactions. Jesus calls us the light of the world, and a a light cannot be seen if it's hidden, if it's kept inside the walls of a church, the walls of our homes. Our lives are to point people to Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. As Mother Teresa put it, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Salt. Salt is a preservative. You sprinkle on meat to keep it from spoiling to make sure it's useful later on. We are to be sprinkled as Christians throughout our world, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, to be part of God's redeeming and preserving work. Salt is used to enhance things. You put on salt on food to bring out the flavor of something you're eating. In Jesus' day, salt was valuable. It was used as a wage. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. That's where the term you're not worth your salt comes from. Jesus, in essence, in Matthew 5 is saying to us, be worth your salt. Don't lose your saltiness. Do not lose your distinct flavor as God's children. Make a difference in the world. Be different. You know, our vision as a church is to go deeper in Christ and further in mission. But it's not only a vision for our church, it's for each person who walks through these doors. Our vision is that you as an individual will grow in your relationship with Christ. That more and more you would care about the things that Jesus cares about. That more and more you would treat people like Jesus treats people. That more and more um, you, would, you would spend your time and your resources on things that Jesus values. We want to help that happen in your life. We want to see that happen in our lives. Part of it is to go further in mission. Again, it's a, it's a vision for each person in our church family. That, that we would make it a priority to find what God wants you to do. 
what God has specifically made you to do. And then to go and to do it, to step out and to be light and salt as only you can. And we want to help you to do that. And when we see that happen in us and through us. And if you think about it, deeper in Christ's further mission, it's right out of Jesus' words in Matthew 22. Jesus is asked by a man, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? I've got to get this one right. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. In other words, love God deeply and passionately with everything you are and everything that you have. Go deeper with Jesus. And then Jesus adds, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, treat other people like you'd want to be treated. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Treat them with respect. Treat them with care, with intentionality. Love them as you would like to be loved. Go further in extending that love, that love of Christ to others. Deeper in Christ, further in mission. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot say you love God, the Apostle John says, if you don't love your neighbor. You cannot say you're growing spiritually if you're not reaching out to other people in Jesus' name. So what would it look like for you and your family in the coming year to go deeper in Christ and further in mission? Would it involve serving the poor, sharing your faith with your neighbors, praying for neighbors, taking a missions trip, forgiving somebody who has hurt you deeply, mending a relationship Spending more time in prayer or in scriptures, worshiping regularly, sacrificially giving. What would it look like to go deeper in Christ and further in mission? This is what the heart of what Jesus came to say. This is crucial stuff for him. And because it's so important to him, it has to be important to us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be digging a little bit deeper as we start the year 2020, beginning a sermon series called 2020 Vision. What is it that we need to focus on this coming year? How would God have us move forward? What are the things that will help us to truly fulfill Jesus' commands to go deeper in him and to go further in a mission, to love others and to love God? You know, as a church, we have an incredible history. We have been so blessed. We have so much to be thankful for. But with great blessing comes great responsibility. Jesus said as much in Luke 12, where he said, To whom much is given, much is required. And we have been given much in the way of people, of facilities, of resources, of opportunities. God expects us, God is calling us to follow in the footsteps of the early church, in the footsteps of our our forebears here at First Covenant, to follow in the steps of Jesus and to be light and to be salt in a broken world filled with broken people like you and me that desperately need the grace and the love and the joy and the hope and the peace and the life that only comes through him. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you are God who reaches out to us, who loves us, who has a burden and a heart for each person that you have ever created in your image. Lord, we confess to you that so often uh, we do not share that same burden. We confess to you that so often we can uh, put our energies and our focus and our time into things that really aren't eternal, things that should be much lower on our priority list. 
And so, Father, we pray that you will grow within us this coming year uh, uh, a deeper burden to help others meet you and to know you, to go deeper in you, uh, to, and to go further in our calling, Lord, in our church, in our community, in our world. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful ministry that's happened in our church, and we simply want to be people who build upon that to go deeper and to go further, uh, to be found faithful stewards of the things you've entrusted to us. So, Lord, give us a vision for our families, our neighborhoods, our coworkers, our schools, uh, that we would truly uh, have um, the eyes that you want us to have to, to look at the big picture and what's truly important to you, the things that Jesus focused on. So help us, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.